What's up, everybody? And just as I start to record this podcast, there's an absolute rainstorm going on outside. So coming to you live once again from my parents' house, we got episode 17 here of the Changabi Show. Um, so welcome in. Excited to have y'all. We got a lot to talk about today, so uh, that should be fun. But I just want to start real quick um, just acknowledging the fact that it's almost Christmas. We are in the holiday season. Today is December 13th, which means we're almost halfway through the month of December. That's, dude, this year, 2021 has gone by so quickly. This is, this is incredible. So shout out to everybody um, because our year is, is coming to an end. In terms of how I'm doing though, like I'll just go through it real quick. I'm doing okay. Uh, finals week is done in the books fuck school it's over so now i can just record podcasts in my bedroom doing what i want to do um yes so i'm very happy school is finally over nothing i have to worry about in that regard finals check all of the last assignments check passed all my classes i believe so we should be okay uh for next quarter but in terms of other things like I'm I'm excited the holidays are here, but I felt very indifferent about the holidays, I think, in the last couple of years. I think it's because of the fact that um, the holidays have sort of, I don't know, like holidays used to hit a lot more different when it was winter break, you know, and like you, and school was the only thing I cared about. But as I've kind of mentioned before, I sort of feel like I've grown into some some sort of like working adult uh in 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 some capacities from the for the last 2 years and so like the holidays doesn't really hit because it's like oh like i have other stuff i have to do i have responsibilities i still have to go to work like there's no there's no break so to speak you know and that's i guess the real world so hasn't really hit me yet that we're in the holiday season but it should hopefully will uh very very soon here um but yeah exciting stuff nonetheless so that's pretty cool. But instead of me talking about myself, I wanted to kind of give you guys because I cover a lot of stories on the show, right? We're 17 episodes deep here. So we have kind of a, a good catalog of material to work with. Um, and particularly here in the last couple of episodes, we've had a lot of kind of ongoing uh, storylines that have been happening, uh, particularly with three main individuals that I want to talk about today. Uh, the first individual that I would like to update everybody about is uh, Peng Shui. Uh, I think we talked about this episode, in uh, or we talked about Peng Shui in episode 15. Um, she is the one, uh, and just to refresh everybody's memory in case you forgot, Peng Shui uh, was the Chinese tennis player, Chinese female tennis player, former world number one in the world in doubles, who basically just uh, sort of vanished uh, or no, sorry let me backtrack uh w basically posted this uh, uh basically accused a high-ranking chinese government official of basically um sexual assault and other kind of sexual misconduct things uh on the chinese version of facebook titled weibo and i believe the government official's name is zhang gaoli if i'm getting that correct um so he she did that and then the post was taken down within 20 minutes. And essentially after that, no one really had seen her. And at the time that I'd made the video, uh, that's the hashtag where's Peng Shui uh, was trending. It was a hot topic. A lot of people were wondering where she was. Um, so 
I'm here to update you that the worst fears that I had were that she potentially couldn't, that she could potentially be dead, uh, are not true. She is very, she is very much alive according to various video proof media, all of that stuff. Um, so the international Olympic committee had a video call with her that lasted about a half an hour. And there have been a few pictures released by Chinese state media in the last couple of days and weeks here, uh, showing Peng Shui alive, doing various things. Um, so the worst fears of her being dead have sort of subsided because there have been uh, video as well as, um, you know, audio and visual proof that she is safe, which is good. But here's where the bad news comes in, because I feel like the narrative surrounding this Peng Shui story is very controlled by the Chinese government. And what that means is that Look at I'm looking at where these sources are coming from. I'm looking at where how people are sort of feeling about Peng Shui and who is portraying slash giving the messages to the media across the world to the WTA. It's the Chinese government. The Chinese government is controlling the narrative and they are sending these messages across the world to make sure that the mainstream media throughout the world kind of stays out of it because. The mainstream media caught on to this whole thing when Peng Shui was missing. And when she was found, the story sort of died with mainstream media. But we're not mainstream media here at the Changabi Show. I'm here to update you on what exactly is going on and what I believe are kind of some of the things to look out for here. Uh, but the narrative is very controlled by the government. And here's another kind of reasoning of proof that I have. Peng Shui still has not been contacted by any of her friends or tennis players Uh as well as, um, oh, sorry, let me let me rephrase that. That was really bad. Peng Shui has not contacted any of her friends on the tour, any players in the WTA, which is the Women's Tennis Association, or any of the heads of the Women's Tennis Association. So like any of like basically anybody who's within her employment, uh, within her athletic league, she still has not made any contact with them face to face, online, whatever it is, there has not been any contact. Uh, in addition, there's still a lot of confusion amongst these groups of people, particularly with the WTA. And so actually what the WTA has gone on and done is they've said, OK, China, if you're not going to kind of provide us more information and be more transparent here with this Peng Shui situation, what we're going to do is we're going to pull out of all of our events that we have in China. So the WTA has various tournaments in China throughout the year, and they basically have decided to pull out and the ATP, which is the men's tour decided to do the same thing. So no events in China as of indefinitely uh, based on the way this situation is trending. So let's see how it all goes. There's still a lot of confusion. Um, and the weird part is I, I mentioned at the top of this that the IOC kind of released this video call uh, or the IOC had a video call with Peng Shui, but they have not released an audio transcript of it. No video, no nothing. So it seems like the situation is a lot of like, oh, like, a friend told me who told me that she's okay. Um, so the situation is very much at a standstill. Information continues to come in and there's a lot of like confusion amongst different media outlets as to like what truly the situation is because it's seemingly very controlled by the mainstream media, um, which is by seemingly controlled by the China. The narrative is seemingly controlled by the Chinese government and the mainstream media is sort of let this story die and moved on to other things, as does the 24 hour news cycle here and throughout the world. 
Um, I believe really that the International Olympic Committee, uh, that is the one that has kind of had that initial contact with Peng Shui, has handled the situation incredibly poorly. Um, and it's really to the point where the American government, uh, actually, there's been several things that have happened in the American government um, where they have, the American government has fully condemned the Chinese government. Uh, they've like gone through and passed a lot of resolutions recognizing the various human rights violations, uh, particularly in the House of Representatives and in the Senate. Um, and this is this whole tension within China and this Peng Shui situation is leading to a potential potential. Nothing nothing is set in stone yet by the American uh, Athletic Associations or you know the government in general. But this could potentially lead to a potential diplomatic boycott in the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing. That is crazy. And if that happens, that is, I mean, that's the biggest like F you to a country that you possibly can have. Um, and that's fully recognizing this Peng Shui situation, which is, which is crazy uh, to begin with. Uh, so there's a lot going on here with this Peng Shui situation. It continues to sort of evolve day by day, but I feel like the mainstream media has let this story sort of die even though there is still a lot of layers that are happening constantly here. And uh, this could be one of the pieces in the dominoes that falls and could potentially lead to the United States, the United States not participating in 2022 in the Olympics, as well as various other kind of political events and uh, other various human rights violations going on in China. But we do know that Peng Shui is alive. That is the one thing we can confirm in other news. Uh, in you know, she, she is alive. So that, it, that is a good sign. That is fantastic. We're glad that she's healthy, um, seemingly, but we do not know how she's being treated by the Chinese government. And we do not know, she has not spoken to any media. Um, she has not had an interview. She has not had contact with other people. So we don't really know how bad the situation is. And that could, that is a, that is a scary thought, uh, considering the, the foreign government of China that you're dealing with here uh, and what they've been known for in the past. So we got to wait and kind of see how this whole situation sort of starts to play out. But I think, uh, I think we'll get more information. And uh, as that information comes down the pipeline, I will collect it and report it here on the show. Um, another sort of thing to transition, uh, speaking of news and journalism, Chris Cuomo, uh, we covered him on the last show, and I sort of talked about how he was fired and calling him a scumbag and a bum, and both of which I still stand by. So at the time I recorded last, Chris Cuomo had been suspended um, indefinitely off CNN as they were uh, sort of running their own in uh, private investigation into the matter. Uh, but I have realized now and a couple of days later, it was released that Chris Cuomo had indeed been fired by CNN. Uh, he was fired a couple of days after the indefinite suspension came out and he has officially been sacked from CNN. So he is not going to be on the news anytime soon. Cuomo primetime is going to be replaced by some other programming, I presume. Um, so that is a very interesting development that we see uh, there with Chris Cuomo. In addition, uh, he had a radio show on Sirius XM, and he has actually pulled out of that as well. So he's sort of going completely off the grid. No more media for Chris Cuomo, at least in the short term. We'll see kind of his long-term plans. But it's weird that I've actually seen like a lot of people in the journalism committee 
uh, or community, sorry, really defend Chris Cuomo and say like, we are so sorry that this happened to you. Like you're such a great person and a great human being. Um, you know, we cannot wait to see what this next chapter sort of holds for you. That's scary, man, because this dude really just, I mean, he violated all professional procedures when it came to uh, being a journalist. And the fact that these individuals are going out on the air and publicly saying like, are going out on social media and publicly like defending this guy is, is scary. If that's the state of journalism that we are in. I mean, I would figure that a lot of the journalism community would be very uh, against Chris Cuomo at this point. You know, the fact that he used media contacts to try and erase stories and, you know, sort of violating that First Amendment, which I really thought that journalists were so passionately fighting for. Um, apparently... <laughs> There are a lot of journalists that are pro this guy, and maybe they're a part of that uh, that CNN community, right? Um, and so they're sort of defending their their friend and their colleague, someone that they've gotten to know very personally, all of that. Um, so again, very, very interesting situation there. Chris Cuomo kind of off all media for now, at least in the short term. We'll see uh, if he makes sort of any statements or decides to write a book, which I my is my prediction. I think Chris Cuomo is going to write a book and I think he is uh, going to make a lot of money off that book. And I think he's going to talk about some stuff. But that being said, Chris Cuomo will be off the air for now. And that is the update regarding that story. And then the last person I want to cover is uh, someone I really talked about at length last week uh, in, with the uh, South Asian quality control episode. Uh, and it's not Minnie Kaling. It's Hasan Minaj. Um, so... I remember, I don't know if you guys remember, but last week I sort of mentioned that I would love to see Hassan get into that director uh, space, get into the get into the film space and really start creating sort of longer form TV shows as well as uh, film content. I think he would, you know, make the space a lot better than it is right now with Mindy Kaling sort of being in terms of the South Asian space, right? Like, obviously, in the wide scheme of directors, there's so many. There's a plethora of various film people who are very good at their jobs. Hassan Minaj, though. I really wanted to see him give it a shot. And just as I said that, he listened to me because we're best friends. And a day after, he started his new production company, or it was announced that he has officially filed for his new production and created his new production company titled 186K Films. So congratulations on the new production company, Hassan. Hope everything goes well. And in addition, he has announced the creation of a new film, uh, the script is written and they were, I believe they were shopping it around to various studios. It's going to be. And so, and I think it was bought. I don't remember by who, but uh, the film is titled for the culture. And I guess we can really say that he is trying to take over Mindy Kaling once and for all. This is, you know, I, I understand Mindy Kaling is a woman, but Hasan Minaj is, is wow. Like he's, he's really making moves here in this, in this department. Um, the movie is titled for the culture, as I said, and it's going to be about a uh, going to be about Bollywood dance teams here in college. Um, so that's that's an interesting one. I I had the idea, you know, I'm not I'm not going to say I gave Hasan Minaj the idea, but like three years ago, I had the idea of like, what if you were to make a movie or a TV show about Bollywood dance teams? So now it's happening. Uh, congratulations. And I think you would make a really good TV show series, but I but it is a film. Um, so interesting to see what they do with it. Obviously it's going to come out, uh, probably two, three, four years down the line. So something to look forward to in the future. Very exciting stuff here for Hasan Minaj. Uh, congratulations on behalf of the Changabi show, the one man show. 
Um, and that's my update section for this week. So we talked Peng Shui, Chris Cuomo, Hassan Minaj, and I will let you know if any of the other sort of topics that I talk about throughout, um, you know, the various things that I say, have any updates, anything goes on, we'll cover it on the show. So don't, don't worry. I follow up. I'm not weird about, you know, just the mainstream. I'm not like the mainstream media and let's, you know, non-trending stuff die. So yeah. But anyway, let's get into the show that we have today because that was the update section. That took 15 minutes. So let's get into the real show and our sports topic of the day. My background behind me, for those of you that are on YouTube and can see me, I'm clearly caffeinated and vaccinated today. Those on YouTube would get that reference. Anyway, let's talk about branding and sports. This is a really interesting one. Um, Listen, I think branding in business, I mean, you talk about branding in any sort of arena of business, of um, pop culture, of creating sports. Branding is integral to creating a product. This show, for example, what is my brand? I have to figure that out, right? I'm still only a year into the game, figuring out what my true brand is, what my MO is, how I can cater to my audience of people. That is something that is going to take time. And sports teams oftentimes, well, sports teams have had a way bigger head start. You know, I'll give you an example. The 49ers have been in existence since 1946. You know, that's almost since World War II. So they, they, they've had a, They've had time to build their brand, to build their story. And whether you like it or not, guys, sports teams are a business. And it comes down to the bottom line. If the NBA and the NFL and the MLB were not making money, then we wouldn't be here. Like, then then we w- then I would not be discussing them, you know? Then, then they wouldn't be popular. So sports is all about a business at the end of the day. And it's all about selling particularly to the consumers like myself. I am not trying to say like that I am, oh, like I am some above it all like customer. No, I am their ultimate customer. You look at my targeted ads and jersey sales and looking at the next great product, you know, Um, next great jersey to buy, that type of stuff, 100%. But Sports teams have a little micro marketing as well because they have to make sure that they all have fan bases because otherwise, if they don't have a fan base within their city, you get relocated. Look at the Vancouver Grizzlies. You know, uh, the Seattle Supersonics weren't relocated due to their fan base, but due to the fact that maybe they were uh, not making as much money as they would have liked, but they moved to Oklahoma City, which was beyond me. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, it all comes down to branding. And I am here to deliver a hypothesis about my hometown team, the San Francisco 49ers. I spend a lot of money every year, whether it be on merchandise, on posters, on jerseys, on tickets, on clothes for this team. I do. I spend a lot of money on this squad. But I was thinking about it the other day and I was like, why? Why why do I spend money? And the truth is, is because every year the 49ers do a masterful job of convincing their fan base for the most part, besides a few rebuilding years, that we are contenders, that we're going to make it to the playoffs. 
that we are going to be chasing after Lombardi trophies. But in reality, the fact is, the San Francisco 49ers since 2000 have had five winning seasons. So essentially, since I became a fan, I didn't become, I, I didn't become a fan in 2000, obviously. But this team has had five winning seasons in my lifetime. My mind is blown. I, when I saw that stat, I was like, wow. We, we talk about how we're the class of the NFL. We talk about how we're a classy franchise, how we do things the right way. But this team has only won five, had five winning seasons in 20 years. That's crazy. That's crazy. The fact that the 49ers are so beloved here in the Bay Area isn't due to the fact of their recent success. Because if you go off their recent track record of the last 20 years, they should be the most unpop amongst the most unpopular teams in the league. They should be up there with Detroit, with Jacksonville, Cleveland. Some of the worst teams in the league, the San Francisco 49ers are amongst them. But here's the thing. The only thing that sets apart the 49ers from those bad, bad teams is the fact that they have branding. And their branding is great. You know why? Because they have history. And they have their history allows them to look way better than they actually are. I mean, look at the success that this team has had. Has had. Or had. Has had. Jeez, I cannot speak. Since the 1970s. They were in NFC championships in the 70s. Then in the 80s, you had Montana and you won a couple Super Bowls in the middle of the 80s. And then at the end, you know, in 82. And then you had, you know, 89, 88. Throughout the 80s, you were dominant. And then in the 90s as well, you had Steve Young. You were constantly relevant for almost 20 years in the NFL. Constantly relevant. The last time the 49ers won a Super Bowl was 1994. It has been 27 years since the San Francisco 49ers have held a Lombardi trophy. They've had five winning seasons since 2000, yet they are able to sucker fans like me into getting what they want, into becoming lifelong fans, somehow believing that we are going to make a run. That we are going to win the championship one day. That we are faithful to the Bay. And see, the Golden State Warriors, the funniest part, and like I'm, I'm going to take it to basketball for a second. The Golden State Warriors used to be the Detroit Lions of basketball. They had rarely any winning seasons, if that one or two. You know, we had We Believe, and that was about it in the two early 2000s. But then Steph Curry and the dynasty came and boom, all of a sudden the image flipped. We went from the laughing stock of the league to having 10, 20% of the stadium sold out to having tickets sell for $12, $13 to sit in the you know lower level of Oracle to becoming a team which has ridiculously expensive tickets, which I'll get into later. We have a whole topic on tickets today. So yeah. 
which has gotten in, which has become, you know, one of the premier franchises here in the NBA. It's, it's all about branding at the end of the day. And you want another example? Let's take a look at the New York Jets and the Knicks. It's the same thing. These two franchises, for the most part throughout history, have been complete and utter jokes. Besides Patrick Ewing in the 90s for the Knicks. Besides, you know, a couple glory years in the 60s for the Jets. These two teams have been disgusting. Besides the fact that the New York Jets made the AFC Championship way back in 2010 with Mark Sanchez, that's about it. That's the only thing this team's really had going for it in recent, recent years. But yet, when the New York Knicks win one playoff game like they did last year, people rioted in the streets. People acted like they had just won the championship. Like Madison Square Garden had been crowned an NBA ring. People were acting like that. The Jets, the Giants, the Knicks, every single New York team besides the Yankees is a complete and utter joke. Yet they convince consumers and fans, like myself, who live in the New York area, that New York is the greatest city in the world. And if you support our franchises, you are a part of this great city's history. But they continue to suck. They continue to be mediocre. Being a Jets fan must suck. You know, Gary Vaynerchuk is the ultimate sucker if you think about it, right? He's the person who talks all about branding. And he's like, sports is all about branding. And business is all about branding and creating content and the hustle and all of these things. But Gary Vaynerchuk is getting hustled every single year by the New York Jets when they continue to suck and be mediocre. The last time this team was relevant was probably when Gary V was in his glory days, in his glory hustle days. That was the last time. Let's be honest. And I'm not even hating on Gary Vee. I think Gary Vee's great. But Gary Vee must cry himself to sleep every night watching this team. They suck. And I, you know, people ask me, why do you hate the San Francisco 49ers? Five winning seasons in 20 years? Yeah, I'm mad. They're, they're not as good as, they're about as good as the Jacksonville Jaguars have been in the last 20 years based on their track record. So don't give me that BS. Branding is everything in sports. You build a good brand. You tell your fans all of these various slogans, faithful to the Bay. New York's the greatest city on earth. You support this. You're supporting the right team. They make you think like you're a winner, when in reality, you lose all the time. So that's my hypothesis, is that branding is everything in sports. You don't have branding, you're going to be... Yeah, you don't have branding. You you're either going to be irrelevant and kicked out of your home market, or a lot of people won't care about you. And the 49ers have depended clearly on their history. The Jets depend on their you know history back in the 60s or whatever it is to retain fans. But it's pretty crazy. The teams that are often the most down bad don't even know it because of branding. Anyway. Crazy stuff. The 49ers, though, did win their game. So, you know, I can't be that unhappy recording this podcast, can I? Can I? Can I? I don't know. Um, But let's get into our pop culture topics because I got a couple that are fun. And it's raining like a freaking madhouse outside. I want to talk about Nirmal Puja for a second. People are like, what the hell is that? 
Well, I'm here to educate you. That's what we do here on the Changabi Show. So when I like to always look at the the Netflix, like what's coming to Netflix this month, um, videos that come out every so often on Netflix, uh, on the Netflix YouTube channel, go check it out. Um, and in the November video, which was, you know, I watched back in October, I saw that there was this, uh, sh- uh, this documentary coming out called 14 Peaks, and it was about mountaineering. And I'm someone that has always been fascinated with mountaineering. I think it's super cool. I think it's absolutely fascinating to see how people like ascend these tall beasts that have been created by nature and getting to some of the highest points in the world that only, you know, a counting number of people have summited, right? That is fascinating to me. Uh, so I'm a big mountain fan. I think I get it from my dad. My dad also loves the mountain documentaries. He's big into all that stuff. Um, so it's, I'm a mountain head. So when I saw that documentary on Netflix, I was like, damn, I got to check this out. So I watch it. 14 peaks. The synopsis of this documentary is it's about this guy, Nirmal Puja, Nepali guy, Nepali, uh, he's from Nepal and he wants to summit 14, all 14. So there's 14, 8,000 meter peaks in the world, right? So these are amongst some of the highest mountains in the world and they're located in kind of three distinct regions one is sort of in the nepal area uh another is in the pakistan area and then another is in the china and tibet area so there's like three different kind of areas where these various peaks lie um you know some of those mountains for kind of a frame of reference for you guys include those of like mount everest k2 which is the second highest mountain in the world Annapurna, which i believe is the fourth highest mountain in the world uh amongst a couple of other uh really big mountains so this guy at the beginning of the documentary, he makes his mission very clear. He says, I want to summit all 14 of these 8,000 meter peaks, hardest mountains in the world to climb, in seven months. I was like, holy shit, what? Like, what? 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 Are you serious? Are you serious? Is that even possible? Like, I've seen the documentaries I've watched about various mountains and mountaineering and all of these things have been about um, basically trying to summit one mountain right k2 mount everest annapurna just one just one and if they if these people can do it they're considered heroes like it's 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 an incredibly difficult feat to be able to even summit one of these eight thousand meter peaks let alone all 14 but within seven months the last guy to do it was this like european mountaineer and he did 14 peaks over a 12 year period so it took him you know, about a a distinct portion of his life to be able to even accomplish this feat. And this guy wants to be like, nah, I want to do it in seven months. I was shocked. I, I th- This got me hooked right there. I was like, this guy, there's no way he's going to be able to do it. I'm not going to spoil it. But, man, I mean, the fact that he even attempted this and survived to tell the tale, whether or not that he did it, you have to watch it to find out if he was able to do it. This man should be considered one of the greatest athletes alive for even trying that, right? You, you we we think when we think of athletes, we think of LeBron James, right? We think of Usain Bolts, we think of Serena Williams as being just the strongest athletic human beings known to man. We think of, you know, other big football players. This dude oh, Mountaineers have to be considered in this conversation. That's what I've realized. Extreme sports is no joke. 
this dude cl- was attempting to climb all 14 of these 8,000 meter peaks in seven months. Seven months. And he's lived. He survived. He survived. Did he do it? I'm not going to say, but he survived. That's impressive. That's impressive. And he attempted every single one. That's all I'll say that he attempted. Did he, did he finish it? I don't know. But the absolute ridiculous pace that this guy is on, the way he just quickly climbs, 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 he's built different. You, you talk about people being built different on the basketball court. This man is built different in life. Um, and I think the thing I really liked about Nirmal a lot in this whole sort of scope of things is that he really does bring a great attitude to what he does. Uh, very positive. Throughout the whole thing, whatever adversity he faced, you know, if he was super close to death and about to fall off that rope, he had a smile on his face the whole time. The project uh, of like his mission was called Project Possible because everybody's told him, like myself, that you're delusional. This is completely impossible. I don't know what you're doing. Uh, and the fact that he was able to accomplish this was incredible. I mean, it, it's it's borderline crazy but also like the fact that he accomplished it to tell the tale and i just realized i spoiled it so sorry um is that's insane in itself listen most human beings would have died doing this i mean it's it's a fact like climbing all 14 8000 meter peaks in one in in one go in seven months is not easy frankly i 400, 500 people die just trying to summit Everest a year, let alone doing all of its cousins too, right? Like that is, that is a ridiculous feat. Um, You have to be a great athlete to do that. What is the definition of a great athlete? Someone who can withstand physical adversity and conquer these feats that no one thought was possible. And Nirmo Puja did exactly that. He did exactly that. 14 peaks, 8,000 meters. This is I mean, people need to be talking about this amongst some of the greatest athletic achievements known to men. I know Free Solo came out like what three years ago, um, and that was about Alex Honnold, like free, uh, sort of free climbing Yosemite's El Capitan, which is an absolutely amazing accomplishment in itself. No ropes, no belay, just alpine style, ba ba ba, just up the rock, and he did it in like what two hours and thirty minutes, up and down. I mean, he he does he deserves credit to be one of the best athletes in the world too. Mountaineers are absolutely athletes that just get no credit in the mainstream media, and that leads to the next point of this whole documentary is that Nirmal Puja is Nepali, right? And I don't know how much you guys know about the situation that's going on on Mount Everest uh, with the Sherpas. Um, so Sherpas, for those of you that don't know, are essentially the individuals that help um, sort of these mountaineers get up the mountain or sort of the uh, Western mountaineers who are attempting to get up the mountains. Sherpas are kind of like your tour guides. They make sure, you know, the camp is set up, the ropes are set up. They go ahead. They risk their lives to make sure all the rope is in place to make sure that uh, everybody is secure and uh, everybody is as safe as possible trying to get to the summit, right? The, the Sherpas, they, they risk their lives on a daily basis to do this. They get paid a lot of money to do it, but 
they they risk their lives. It's an incredibly dangerous job. You're constantly risking your lives. You're going ahead. They And Sherpas are amongst the people who have summited Mount Everest the most amount of times. And they oftentimes get treated really badly by Westerners because, you know, they get swindled out of money or the Sherpas have to go ahead and they often risk their lives. And they often die saving the lives of those uh, who pay an exorbitant amount of money to summit the mountain. Um, and Puja uh Nirmal Puja is amongst is, is Nepali. He's not a Sherpa. He's not related to sort of that family. But he he and Sherpas in general do not get a lot of credit for the incredible mountaineering achievements that they've done. Um, you know, when you think of who summited Everest first, it was a guy by the name of Edmund Hillary. But there was also a Sherpa by the name of Tengzing Norgay. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong, who was with him. And he does not get the same amount of credit that Edmund Hillary did. Tengzing Norgay has also summited a various uh has also summited a lot of other mountains be besides Everest. Um and has summited Everest multiple times after Edmund Hillary even left. Uh but he he is not he does not get the same credit. So yeah, I mean the whole thing with mountaineering and Everest is an absolutely crazy story. Um the the whole thing about the industry and uh, just everything that's gone on with Sherpas and the way they're treated and Everest Base Camp and all these things. Very fascinating. I recommend everybody look into it. Um, and they kind of sort of touch on it a little bit in this documentary, but Everest is, again, one of the 14 peaks attempted. So they don't really have a lot of time to cover it. But Everest is a very fascinating place. Um, you know, it's one of the highest places in the world. It's the highest mountain in the world and everybody is attempting to summit it. So it's it's a crazy, uh, it's a crazy topic um definitely recommend into looking into it if you want more information there's actually a movie called everest uh about 2000 it's it's uh it came out like four years ago it's about the 2004 expedition uh and basically everything like that goes into place about you know going up the mountain and essentially the expedition goes wrong and it's a really like very accurate picture of what happens particularly on a western expedition it's not through the eyes of the of the sherpa but sort of the eyes through a westerner trying to summit this mountain uh it's a very very good documentary or uh, sorry very good movie it's an actual movie highly recommend it uh definitely go check it out it's very good very solid watched it it was fantastic loved it yeah, so that's all I got to say about Nirmal. This dude is not normal. He is should be considered amongst one of the best athletes in the world. Those of you that have not seen 14 Peaks on Netflix, go check it out. It's awesome. Incredible documentary. Uh, Nirmal Puja, uh, one of the best mountaineers of all time, I guess we could call it that now. If you guys watch this documentary and you don't tell me. Um, hot take of the day, Nirmal Puja is one of the best athletes I've ever seen. Uh, Nirmal Puja could be considered one of the best athletes you've ever seen. You don't even know his name. So watch this documentary and tell me if I'm right or tell me if I'm wrong. Curious. Because I think he he is up there with being one of the greatest athletes ever. Anyway. <laughs> to transition from Nirmal Puja, we got to go into Harry Potter now. <laughs> uh, to, to go from reality to fantasy. Um, no, but it's the holidays, right? It's December 13th. We're almost halfway through December. And I want to talk about one of my favorite movies, one of my favorite uh, series of all time, Harry Potter. Um, it's incredible. It's great. It's fantastic. I have nothing but good things to say, positive things to say about Harry Potter. Uh, one of the best series of all time, uh, arguably better than Star Wars, in my opinion. I think it is better than Star Wars, but, you know, to eat here and there, it doesn't matter uh, to each their own. 
but Harry Potter sort of reminds me of the holidays. Um, I don't know why. Uh, I think maybe because uh, that way back in the day, uh, 2008, 2009, uh, TBS used to, I don't know if they still do it, but TBS used to do their Harry Potter movie marathon where they would air all the movies like during various weekends from like Thanksgiving through Christmas. Uh, and they would do like two movies a weekend. So they do like the first and second one weekend and then the third and the fourth and then the fifth and the sixth. Uh, and then like, obviously all the movies started to come out. And so they started doing it again. All the movies eventually came out in like what, 2011. So they started doing it again back in the, you know, 2010s. So throughout my childhood, TBS on the Harry Potter movie marathon, and they always used to do it during the holidays. So I always thought of Harry Potter as sort of like a holiday movie, even though it's really sort of a year round movie, but I always watched it during the holidays. Um, and it is my favorite personal series of all time. The books are incredible. If you haven't gotten the chance to read any of the books, like I already know if I ever become a parent, the first literature I'm ever going to be reading to my child is Harry Potter. Uh, and there's nothing you can do to stop me. Um, because those books like <laughs> were my childhood. So I would want to share that with other people. Um, the movies, you know, hit or miss uh, for the most part. But I think if the way I feel about the movies is that if you are a fan of the books, I think you're a fan of the movies. I think I, I really do believe like they're, they're a lot of fun. Uh, you know, the characters, Radcliffe, I mean, the, the actors and actresses do a really good job of all the characters. They, they really did a good job of like casting the right people to like put them in these, like put them in these characters that you visualize in your head. Um, so, you know, that's great. <laughs> Uh, you know, obviously, I love Daniel Radcliffe. Rupert Grint's great. Emma Watson. Emma Watson. Emma Watson. She's awesome. I love Emma Watson. Uh, the Yule Ball scene. My God. My God. No words. No words. No words. That might have been the day I officially fell in love with Emma Watson was the first time I saw that scene. But that's neither here nor there. Um, but the Yule Ball scene. <laughs> Fantastic scene in the whole Harry Potter series. And the music plays. Ah! Ah! It's too good. Anyway, though, um, I don't. Here's the thing about Harry Potter, which is, is Harry Potter. Um, I don't. I don't know if any of you, like the people listening, for the most part, are like young enough, or sorry, old enough to remember. Um, but I remember very distinctly when I was like seven or eight years old. The last book came out, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows, came out in like 2007 or 2008, and People were like camped out at Barnes and Noble, just lined up to watch to, to let this book release. Like they were camped. It was like it was it was like a premiere of a new shoe or like a new movie. Like people were camped out, you know, way back in the day before COVID when we could just camp out in lines and wait for stuff. People were camped out for this book. And I remember like when my brother got the book. Because, you know, I wasn't old enough to read it and the books got dark and, you know, I was like seven. So I shouldn't have been reading those books at seven. Uh, he like grabbed the book and just didn't stop reading for straight up like a day. Like, and I saw that with like all of these Harry Potter books is like every time a kid, every time a kid used to pick those books up from the bookstore, they just couldn't put them down. It, it was just, you, you kind of just opened up the book and it was like, all right, I'm busy for the next two days. Go away. Um, so, you know, it's people would line up for hours outside the bookstore. Are you ever going to get that again? Not in this technological society. People are just like, oh, I downloaded it on my Kindle. Oh, I got it on my Enoch. 
Uh, I just found the app that illegally pirates the book, so I don't have to buy it. Right? And that's like, you know, that's obviously the society we live in today. But I, I still miss those days where you would stand out in line and, like, have to wait for the paperback. The days before, you know, the days where you had to watch the movie in theaters and Put Locker didn't exist or LimeWire took, like, 18 hours to stream a fucking song. Like, I miss those days. I miss the old days. And I know I'm super young. You know, I was born in fucking 2000. Like, that's, you know, that's still relatively young. But, like, <laughs> I still remember those days that we had to, that I, that I was little, that we had to wait out in line, you know, wait out in line to go to the movies because, or wait out in line to uh, watch the, or to, to get the book, you know. That's never going to happen again. No matter how good the book series is, there could be another book. I don't even think, I think, like, books are going out of style, too, which is another sad thing. Um, and it's probably because of people like me who can, you know, just hop on the internet and summarize the plot in an 18 minute YouTube video, uh, instead of people reading the book or watching the movie or whatever, because people don't have attention span anymore. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, I, I, it was really that valued of a series. And I think it was one of the last series that we're going to see like that, where people line up for hours for the movie, where people line up for hours for the book. And so it reminds me of kind of this transitionatory period in life where you're never going to get that again. Um, and, you know, Harry Potter was sort of that last series in time, if you think about it like that. Anyway, the reason why I want to talk about it, though, for real, is the uh, the reunion is coming up. So New Year's Day, January 1st, 2022, uh, the reunion of the Harry Potter series is dropping on HBO Max. Um, and I presume it's going to be a lot like the friends reunion where the whole cast walks in and the various directors and they start talking about, you know, being at Hogwarts and like the various scenes they filmed and all of that stuff should be really exciting. I'm excited. Uh, they're obviously, I think they will talk about some spinoffs and all that potential, you know, rumors. And I, I hope Rowling gets on set. That would be fun. Um, you know, I, and so I guess I'm, what I'm trying to say is that I'm watching all of the movies leading up to this reunion because i you know that's that's what i do i didn't read any of the books i haven't read i haven't dude, i haven't read any of the books in like two three years since high school i should get back into it i should i should i should read all the books but i will be watching up all the movies leading up to it all eight um and let me just give you a bunch of my harry potter takes without any context now uh no i'm kidding i won't do that i won't i won't bother you uh, with those takes if you want harry potter takes though i'd be happy to give them to you um in person or in a voice memo or whatever uh medium that may be so anyway that's harry potter it's fantastic go do your movie marathons during the holidays because it's my favorite time to do it and also remember that emma watson is the goat and i love her okay so now we got to like transition from you know sort of talking about fun stuff to talking about more serious things because Last week was, unfortunately, another uh, tragedy occurred in Michigan, uh, in Oxford. Was it last week? Yeah, it was last last week, two weeks ago, somewhere around there. I think it was last week. Um, Oxford. Uh, in Oxford, Michigan, there was another school shooting that took place. Uh, this is not to get confused with Oxford, England, just saying. Um, and I believe five were killed and several other were injured. Several others were injured. Um, and you know, it's another tragedy. It's another gun violence tragedy. And I feel like they just have become more common, 
throughout society. You know, uh, you you talk to people in our parents' generation, and school shootings were not a thing, really. I mean, yeah, like they would happen, but they were more one-off situations. I mean, you ask if you were to talk to my dad, like, oh, what's the main school shooting that took place, like that you really remember, or talk to a people like a, the older generation of millennials, right, or that kind of older group, the older groups of society, and the first shooting they point to is Columbine. Columbine back in '99 was like the the talk of the town when it happened, right? It was this massive event and everybody presumed that there was going to be some legislation put into place regarding gun regulations, et cetera, et cetera. There were, but they were minor regulations to say the least. And then there was a gap for a little bit. You know, uh, there were mass shootings, but there weren't many like school shootings. Like if you want to get specific and talk about school shootings, school shootings, there was about a 13 year gap between 1999 I wasn't even born when Columbine happened. Okay. Like I, I've had to do research on all this stuff, but Columbine happened back in 99. And then in 2012, in Newtown, Connecticut, Sandy Hook happened. And that was like, boom, that kind of sparked the 2010s in regards to one of the main current events and domestic issues that America dealt with throughout the 2010s was school shootings. If you think about it, I could name like five off the top of my head, but there were there are so many more, you know, the the main ones covered by mainstream media, right? Parkland in 2016. Then there was Santa Clarita in 2019, right? Then then this one, you know, in Oxford. Obviously, there was sort of like a pause on school shootings, so to speak, due to the fact that COVID happened, and you know, most people were online, so there wasn't like a physical school. Um, and sort of that talk, that conversation of having, you know, have having conversations regarding gun by uh, guns and all of that stuff sort of subsided over the last year and a half because people were more focused on the pandemic for good reason. Uh, but I think it's time that that conversation comes back. You know, where do we draw the line for guns? That's it's it's a conversation that that has happened in this country since '99, since Columbine. I mean, you look at other countries. I I forget. I think it's Australia. Australia and New Zealand have very strict gun policies. They had one. I think Australia or New Zealand back in early 2000s or late 90s had a big mass shooting, and they just like decided, you know what, screw this, we're ending it all. Boom. You know, and they obviously went to an extreme. And I put out a poll on my uh, Instagram the other day, and I said, like, how do you feel about the Second Amendment? And most people said, we support it. Like, if you want to have a gun, go ahead and have a gun. I'm okay with that. I personally subscribe to sort of that theory. Like, if you want a gun, you can go ahead and buy a gun. I don't care. Um, But how do we balance the fact that people want guns and people want weapons, but also discuss the fact that there have been limited policy limited policies put into place the that mass shootings have been happening at a more regular rate and that people have been dying because of these mass shootings how do we how do we prevent both of those things how do we find a compromise between both those things and people are like well stricter regulations but what does that exactly entail because i've had conversations with people and they're like well you got to do background checks and all of that and i'm like okay yeah definitely And some states aren't going to do that because some states, people just want their guns and they want free access to those guns, you know, 
California is a stricter state where you have to, it's not an open carry state. You can't just carry a gun around everywhere, uh, but you have to have a constant regulation. You have to, you have to, or there is regulations. If you want to own a gun, you have to present ID. You have to present like mental health checks, various different things. Different states don't have that. And I think the federal government has really put this kind of gun, particularly gun policies on a state by state basis where it's like, okay, states up to you, you do what you want. And so various states have had stricter gun regulations and some states have had much more, um, you know, lenient to liberal gun gun regulations, so to speak. Uh, so I don't know. I feel like there, there, there isn't a solution, so to speak, but there also is in that. I feel like the, the main solution, I think, to guns is the fact that, like, what do we define as a semi-automatic? Like, my thing is, like, I if people want to have hunting rifles, and you know, handguns and whatever like that's fine do what you got to do for your self-defense what makes you feel comfortable is what you makes you feel comfortable that's not my prerogative to get in and you know take that away from you but i just my concern is i don't want people like owning ak-47s military grade weapons that are used in war zones to and have those in their houses that should not be the case so we have to figure out a solution between those two things, right? If you want to go hunt and kill deer, whatever, right? If you need, if you live out in the forest and you need a hunting rifle to defend yourself, absolutely go ahead, 100%. But what is the solution here, you know? Because, like, if we, if we are very liberal with gun regulations, we're like, all right, y'all can have guns. Kids can, I mean, everybody can gain access to guns and you don't know who is going to gain access. You don't know who's going to have what type of gun. You don't know what damage they could cause. Today, yes, it might have been in Oxford, Michigan. Tomorrow, it could be in San Jose, California. The next day, it could be in Phoenix, Arizona. The communities are being affected by this, whether you like it or not. And so there has to be some sort of, you know, I feel like the word strict regulation gets tossed out there a lot. And that was a constant solution for a lot of people. Where they were like, ah, strict regulation, stricter regulations. Like, what exactly do those regulations entail? What can we do? What can we as citizens do to prevent things like this from happening? Because I don't want people to die. I'm pretty sure most people watching this don't want people to die in schools, don't want these poor kids who are 17, 18 years old going off to college in the next couple of years, having their futures ahead of them to pass away in high school due to a school shooting. So what is the solution here? What can we do? Put our heads together and figure something out because whatever is going on right now with regulations and with these stricter background checks and whatever people have insinuated is not working out. So we have to figure out some sort of way. Um, but in regards to everybody else, uh, or in regards to the situation in Oxford, uh, I heard this kid, Ethan Crumbly, uh, I mean, the kid Ethan Crumbly is being charged with terrorism, which I think is, uh, we've come a long way because six years ago, that would not have been a thing. Uh, six years ago, the media was struggling to even call uh, Dylan Roof, the guy who went into the black church and just shot up African-Americans. Uh, you know, uh, they were struggling to call him a terrorist. They just called him an active shooter, right? We gave him a much less uh, harmful name. But we live in a society today where all of this, 
you know, where terminologies and all of these various things are very important and the language that you use is incredibly important. And so getting Crumbly, getting this guy Ethan Crumbly charged with, as an adult, first of all, because he's 15, getting him charged as an adult's great. And also getting him charged for terrorism. That's, that's a huge step up. Um, and also this kid's parents, uh, James Crumbly and, uh, what's her name? I forget. It doesn't matter though, but they, <laughs> I think it's James Crumbly and Ellen Crumbly or something like that. Helen. Um, they have also been charged with, uh, various like assisting to counterterrorism type acts. So, uh, because they actually fled the situation that was happening. So like the, they saw that their son got arrested and they packed up their stuff and left and they were arrested in Detroit, uh, later on that or later on the next day or the day after or something like that. They weren't cooperating with police, whatever. Um, but point is all of them are you know going to probably go to jail for a very long time if not the rest of their lives so you know in terms of the oxford situation of course you know it's a very traumatic thing to have happen uh obviously praying for the best for all of these individuals and for their families um but uh but you know what are we going to do what can we do as citizens to prevent this from happening again, because this is going to continue to happen. And if we just throw around stricter regulations, stricter regulations, how is this going to work? It's a state by state basis. Different states will have different rules. I'm, you know, I personally live in a state of California where there are a lot of strict gun regulations. Maybe in Michigan isn't, isn't as strict, but you know, I think with gun regulation, it's something that we're going to be forever stuck with because there is a group in this country that is very pro gun. I want my guns. Don't, don't F with the rules. Like this is what I want. And then there's another group of the country that's like, Hey, we need to just get rid of this stuff. Make sure semi-automatics aren't in the streets, make sure this, that, and the other. And then there's the whole definition and the semantics of like what gun is what and what model is considered semi-automatic. And it gets very complicated. So, you know, various different things are going to have to take place for this to really subside. But Hey, School shootings, man. Uh, it's got to stop. I don't know how. I don't think they ever will at this point. But uh, at least, you know, I, mean, I I think like local schools as well have to take some sort of precaution and make sure that they have the best safety procedures. I saw a couple of teachers that I'm friends with on Facebook post about this stuff and uh, how our district here locally is is doing some various things to prevent, you know, active shooters or active threats from entering, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. That's, uh, that is, um, you know, what is going on in Oxford. And I think the, the solution is going to have to, you know, come at some point. We don't know when that is, but it's going to have to come. Okay, let's transition. Uh, we're 58 minutes into this thing. Jeez, we got two topics left. Let's talk about music for a second. You know, I, I know I, I just talked about a very serious topic in school shooting, but let's uh let's go to let's go to ticket prices for a second. I know these uh transitions have not been great. Yo, tickets have been real expensive to things lately. Um in in the music industry. Uh I have really been uh spending a lot of money in regards to music tickets, and I will continue to because a lot of my and this is the thing, I, I like fully expected this to happen in 2020 because covid hit and all our artists released all of their various projects during covid and it was a great time for artists to just you know not tour and not constantly be moving around and like focus on making new music right 
And so a lot of people through this year and through the early part of this year as well released a bunch of music. And then, and then it's like, oh, things are starting to open back up. Let's tour. And so there's this mass kind of tour where like everybody is like all your favorite artists are coming on tour. You know, they're going to come on tour or, you know, are on tour like or, or have just started tours. And so, you know, you're going to be dropping a lot of money because all your favorite artists are coming. And you haven't seen them in three, four or five years because, you know, the pandemic and their various project, you know, release timeline dates and all that. So, yeah. And or new music you discovered during quarantine, like I did, Jack Harlow. Uh, he wasn't someone I discovered during quarantine, but, um, you know, someone that I really liked a lot of his catalog. And uh, he listened to me. You know, I made a video on my after show basically saying how frustrated I was at Jack Harlow. I was like, dude, you suck. You never came to California. What the hell? And then he was like, fine, Anuj. Here's a California tour. LA to the Bay, baby. To Sacramento. Let's go. And I was like, bet. So I looked at the tickets and they're hella expensive. <laughs> As I expect. Will I probably be going to the show? Yeah, most likely. Uh, but what I do appreciate about Jack Harlow, something I was shocked by, was the fact that he's performing in these like smaller venues. Um, he's doing three shows in the Bay Area, San Jose, San Francisco, Oakland. And uh, the San Francisco show is Sonic. The San Jose show is at the Civic Auditorium. And the Oakland show is at Fox Theater. All of these arenas can max capacity is like 3,800, 2,800. You figure with a name like Jack Harlow, he would probably be at Oracle. I thought this was going to be an arena concert 100%. But nah, nah, he's uh, he's performing at these small venues. I kind of like that, you know, because it feels more intimate. It's a more uh, closed-knit vibe and all of that. So that's cool. Um, but he could have warned me that my bank account was about to explode because his ticket prices are not cheap. Um, but anyway, we'll, uh, we'll figure it out when time comes uh, to that. Uh, should be going to one of the shows. Not sure which one exactly yet, but we'll see. Um, dude, I was... <laughs> so Olivia Rodrigo is another artist that kind of just announced her sort of tour with the uh, various projects. She was another artist that kind of benefited off TikTok and also, you know, quarantine fame and all that. Um, and Olivia Rodrigo announced her tour. I posted on my Instagram story. I was like, I call it 500 for the floor. I was curious. Because I was looking at the various venues she was performing at, and I saw that in San Francisco she's doing Bill of Graham, which is like a small-ish venue, okay? It's not like – I thought – when I heard Olivia Rodrigo, I thought the same thing as Jack Harlow. I thought, oh, Chase Center, Oracle, SAP Center. Like, they're going to the big arenas. Like, Olivia Rodrigo is massive, dog. She averages like 37 million listeners on Spotify a, a month. Like, she should 100% be selling out arenas. No, she's going to Bill of Graham. Guess how much tickets are at Bill of Graham right now? For the floor, for the floor, not even the balcony. $600. $600 to be in the mosh pit without fees. With fees, probably like $630, $640 per person. I, I was like, yo, if Olivia is like 90 for the floor, 80 for the floor right now, I might go. I might go. I might just fuck around and go see some Olivia Rodrigo. Why not? Why not? Hottest new artist out now. Should be fun. $600 for the floor? 
Yo, 13-year-old girls know how to drive up the price like no other, man. They're they're really good at that. Uh, but 600 for the floor is expensive. That's crazy. Uh, can artists do us a favor and like reduce the rate? I know Logic is really nice about that. You know, I appreciate it, Logic. Thank you. Um, shout out Logic because I got to see him at Shoreline for $30. And I got to see him at Billigram. Well, I forget how much we paid for bill Graham, but it was it was cheap as well i don't think it was very expensive I think it was like 40 or 50 bucks um it's cheap it's cheap and so like the point is like i wish i wish you know other artists would listen but i guess they're just trying to make money off of us you know which is fine i uh, get your bag you know when the chain coffee show comes to oracle arena or chase center i'm charging y'all 450 dollars for the freaking nosebleed so get excited <laughs> No, I'm just joking. Um, but dude, Chase Center, like I, I'm convinced I'm never gonna get into Chase Center in my life because it is so expensive. Any event that takes place at Chase Center besides Michael Bublé's Christmas concert is expensive as hell. And I am not trying to spend five hundred dollars to go see Trevor Noah. No, it wasn't five hundred dollars. It was expensive though. It was like two hundred. Uh, also, like I don't really like, you know, like Trevor Noah like that. If it was Hassan, I would have probably gone to Chase. I don't know. But, dude, I'm never going to get into Chase Center. Like, financial standing, like, I, I feel like Chase Center is, like, upper middle class only. Broke people, get the hell out of here. Yeah, no, I'm never getting into Chase Center. I, I'm convinced. I will never see a Warrior game live at this point. At this point, like, I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> Tickets are, like, freaking $300 for the nosebleeds. I you know, like the game time, like you download the app and you could just like, you know, scroll through and it's just like, okay, like I got to wait till the last possible day, two hours before the game to maybe get like a real good deal on a ticket. Huh, sigh, Chase Center, whatever. Uh, I will go to Chase Center one day. I will. I will. I will go to Chase Center. I, you know, there's going to be a day. I have a dream that one day I'm going to be able to go to like four or five games at Chase Center in a season. But that season is not this season. So that's all I have to say. But yes, enough about me talking about tickets, okay? That's useless. Let's not do that. Uh, let's finish it off on a positive note. It's the holidays. It's the holiday season. Everybody's happy. So let's talk about my wish list. Because everybody has a wish list for Christmas, right? And you're like, I need your Indian. Doesn't your family not celebrate? Yeah, we, we kind of don't. But, I mean... We used to, but like now we don't really. But I do because it's Christmas and it's the holidays and I'm here spreading good freaking vibes. So I was like, what is my Christmas wish list? What are the main things that I, Anuj Harsha Chingabi, want for Christmas? And then I was like, ah. So then I thought of a list. First thing I want is the thing I mentioned on the after show last week. Alex Morgan's jersey for men. Please, Lord, somebody find me the jersey. Find me the link. Send me the link. Buy me the jersey. Buy me half the jersey. I'll probably wear it. I don't know. I just want the jersey. I want the jersey real bad. I want it real, 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 real bad. And not the shirt. Not the crappy Nike dry fit shirt with her name on the back. I want a jersey. I want Alexandra's jersey. That is number 
probably number two, number one on my wish list right now. This is in no particular order, by the way. Alex Morgan's jersey is the gift on my wish list. It is, it's, if you show me that, I, I will love you forever. I will, I will, you, you, you will become my instant soulmate. When's the shoddy? When's the shoddy? You show me that Alex Morgan jersey. When's the shoddy? It don't matter. We're going to get married on the spot uh, if you get me that Alex Morgan jersey. Anyway, that's one thing I want on my list. The other thing is the uh, Changabi Show logo and sign. Uh, I want a logo. I want like a cool sign. You know how like, I don't, okay, I hate to use his name, but you know like Steven Crowder, how he has like his Crowder, you know, louder with Crowder sign in the background. I want a Changabi Show sign, dog. And I was looking on the websites and they're like $400. <laughs> so I can't really afford it right now. But like, eventually on my wish list like it'll be there and i'll get it done because i'm gonna get it for myself one day hopefully we'll see but that's on my wish list too i don't know if it'll happen ever but if it does i would be the happiest man alive i need one of those neon signs in my background i need a vibe vibe check vibe check anyway uh, another thing follow and engage with me people Okay, I want to start conversations. I want to have fun. I want to talk with randos and troll people on TikTok and Twitter and Instagram. And someone told me on TikTok the other day that I'd fallen off. Uh, so apparently I've reached Demelio status at this point. So shout out to me. But anyway, follow and engage with me. That's the best Christmas gift you can give me. If you like this video, I will. That's plenty of Christmas gifts for me, right? If you comment, oh my God. If you subscribe... I burped a little bit. Sorry. If you subscribe, subscribe. If you follow, if you comment, if you engage, if you talk, if you disagree with me, that's all I want. That's all I want. That is your Christmas gift to me. Just engage. Just follow with me. Just have a good time. Continue following the podcast because it's fun. 49ers playoff game. That's another Christmas gift I want. All I want for Christmas is the San Francisco 49ers get into the playoffs. And it might happen. It might happen. We're seven and six. We're seven and six. We might have our sixth winning season in 21 years. Woo! I'd be happy. And we're going to get bounced by Tampa by 40 in the first round. But that's neither here nor there. And that is not worth talking about at this point because you're bringing out my vibe. The vibe check is a low. Okay. Anyway. Um. Warrior game at Chase, we all know. We just, we discussed that earlier. That is not going to happen. Uh, that won't happen until, you know, this podcast, until I charge you guys $800 for the nosebleeds at Chase when I'm selling out the arena. But, you know, that'll probably never happen. Uh, <laughs> but no, Warrior game at Chase uh, is definitely a dream. We'll see if I can make that happen. If I do, I will vlog it. I will record it. I will create incredible content regarding that. And then a driver's license. That's the last thing I was on my Christmas list, okay? A driver's license. And this is completely on me. This is not on you. You cannot fake getting a driver's license for me. Uh, so, you know, I don't expect anybody to do it. If you're working for the DMV and you listen to this podcast, I hate you. No, I'm kidding. I don't. But, uh, but yeah, I will be working towards that last Christmas gift. That'll be my last kind of treat yourself gift. Because at that point, when Chingavi's on the road... Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Things about to happen. Changabi show on the road, baby. We taking the whole Bay Area by storm. No. But 
Anyway, that is all I got. Hour and 10 minutes. That's it. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. If you guys made it this far, I appreciate you. If you guys like the show, go ahead and hit the like button down below. Hit the subscribe button. Comment. Again, engage with me. That's all I want for Christmas. Follow me on social media. Twitter, where I don't post anything. Instagram, I post hella. So, post, so freaking follow me on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, TikTok, I have a TikTok. It's pretty cool. Uh, I post a lot of clips on there from here, from the after show, from all the various things that I do. So go check that out as well. A uh, lot of various content is going to be coming to you during the holiday break. And it's raining outside here in the Bay Area. It's December. And that means I have time. So... Thank you guys so much for joining. I appreciate all of you. Have an amazing, amazing, amazing week. And I'll catch you on the flip side. Peace.